Hi, and welcome to Get Smart Politics. I'm your host, Sarah, and my role here is going to be asking questions of our expert and the author of Get Smart Politics. So, expert, why don't you introduce yourself? (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. I'm Eric. I am the author of Get Smart Politics and looking forward to this first audio edition of our weekly cheat sheet. Welcome to the audio version of your political cheat sheet for the week of Monday, May 30th, 2022. Today is Memorial Day, um, a day to recognize the sacrifices of all of those who have served in the armed forces in defense of our country. Today is 162 days until the November midterm elections, which is about 23 weeks, and we are 890 days from the 2024 presidential election, which is 29 months. Wow, that sounds like a long time. Okay, top storylines. Number one, gun laws take center stage. What do we need to know about this? Yeah, so over the past couple of weeks, we've had the mass shootings in Buffalo and Uvalde. They've been, of course, all over the news. That's all anybody's talking about right now, it seems like. And the debate in Congress has really risen to a crescendo recently uh, as they especially that Uvalde shooting I think if it had just been the one incident in Buffalo it might have slid on by without taking as much notice in Congress but with the Uvalde shooting right on the heels of it it's made everyone take a second look and really start evaluating whether or not we'll be able to pass any uh, gun related legislation in this Congress And it's uh, interesting to see what the Democrats are proposing in both the House and Senate. The House Democrats are saying they're going to have a vote on a red flag law as as soon as they get back from their recess this week. And the Senate is uh, looking at what they call a modest deal on guns and that they're hoping they could gain enough GOP support to overcome the 60 vote filibuster um, threat that will probably they'll probably come up against no matter what the proposal is. Okay, so tell me what this means for Republicans and Democrats. Yeah, I think that the Republicans are really worried that if they don't do something and this remains a hot button issue, that they're going to take so much heat that it might mess up their red wave that they think is coming in in November. And that uh, practical political fear is probably going to drive uh, the conversation. If that narrative continues to develop, I think you're going to see a deal cut to do at least something on the red flag laws, if not anything beyond that. But I think that that is where the action is going to be. Okay, bottom line? Well, bottom line is that the Democrats have to have at least 10 Republicans join them to overcome that filibuster because there are 50 Democrats. They need 10 to make 60. The only way that's going to happen is if that heat continues to build on the Republicans. I think you've got enough Republicans that are... Um, either retiring and or open to the possibility to um, to make this a legitimate chance for the first time in many years that something might happen here in the next couple months. All right, we're going to take a turn to our number two story. U.S. course change on Taiwan will have big future effects. Tell me more. Yeah, so this is something that I think got lost in the debate over the last couple of weeks or over the past week because of the all the news about the gun violence. Um, when President Biden was in Japan, in Tokyo last week, he was at a press conference and he was asked about the um, U.S. commitment to Taiwan. And this is historically, it goes way back as to why the reasons are that mainland China and Taiwan absolutely hate each other, to be frank. Um, America for decades has had a policy 
of strategic ambiguity. That's actually what the policy is called. We strategically try not to say what our position is. We don't take a clear position. However, President Biden explicitly said that he was willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan. That was the question the reporter asked is, are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan? And he said, yes. That is a massive change on the on the foreign policy front that I think is going to have huge ripple effects throughout um, the, the entire world because of the impact it has on the China relation. All right. Tell me more about the history here. Yeah. So just to back up and give the background on it, Taiwan and China, they've been basically mortal enemies for the past 70 years. When the Chinese Civil War was happening right at the end of World War II, the actual legitimate government at that time of China was losing ground and decided to retreat to Taiwan and set up a government in exile there, essentially. The Chinese Communist Party took over the mainland and became the de facto government of China. And for ever since that happened, the Chinese Communist Party has vowed to eventually... Uh, take over Taiwan again, and what they say is reunify the entire Chinese um, homeland. The uh, Taiwanese government has maintained that they are the legitimate government of China, of China, and that someday they will return and um, reunite all of China. And it's been this seventy-year uh, stalemate. So, if the the problem that we face now is that China is so big, so powerful militarily and economically, that uh, if they end up having a military excursion incursion to try to take over Taiwan, it could set off World War III. And if America comes uh, into that fight, you would have the two biggest superpowers in the world, both nuclearly armed, fighting head to head for the first time. So, what kind of impact are Biden's words going to set going to make? I, I think they'll, they're a huge impact. You know, the, the White House immediately tried to walk it back. And say, oh, that's not a change in policy. He didn't really mean that. And then the next day he came out uh, in another press conference and was asked again directly about it. And he sort of tried to walk it back again and say, well, it's not a change in policy. But frankly, anyone who re reads the plain words that he said uh, would, would realize it was a change in policy from what we've publicly stated, at least. And the bigger thing is this is the third time in the past year, maybe year and a half, that President Biden has said something along these lines, and it's getting harder and harder to um, for the White House to walk back those statements when it's pretty clear that the president has a pretty strong belief that we need to militarily pledge our support to defend Taiwan. Big consequences here. Absolutely. Sure. It really could be enormous. All right. Our third story, shifting GOP dynamics on display in Georgia and Alabama, Alabama, <laughs> Alabama primaries. <laughs> Maybe they call it that there. I don't know. <laughs> yes, yeah, so this is a really interesting story, um, the storyline that we're following, because the for the past six years, ever since the 2016 presidential election, when President Trump really solidified his control over the Republican Party, people have, in the Republican Party have felt the absolute need to be in lockstep with him on um, on almost everything that if you got out of that line, a lot of times you were effectively canceled, thrown out of the party or just thrown to the wolves. Well, what we saw last week in Georgia was Brian Kemp, who was the probably the number one target for President Trump in this election cycle. Um, President Trump backed his opponent, David Perdue, 
to try to take out Governor Kemp. Well, Governor Kemp won 73.5% to 21.9%. I mean, he just destroyed um, former Senator Perdue. And that was more than triple the the vote total that Purdue got. And also in uh, Georgia that same night, Brad Raffensperger, who was the secretary of state for Georgia, who Trump really blamed for his loss of that state. He felt that Raffensperger had not investigated what he thought was fraud um, hard, uh, hard enough. And so Trump backed Jody Heiss, who's a congressman from Georgia, uh, to try to take out Raffensperger. Well, Raffensperger won. 52% to 33%. Again, just a pretty decisive victory. And then over in Alabama, Mo Brooks, who's a congressman, um, was endorsed by President Trump early on in his race. And after falling to fourth in the the past couple of months and looking like he was dead in the water, President Trump backed out of his endorsement and said he unendorsed him. Well, ever since that, that president, um, I'm sorry, Congressman Brooks has had a resurgence and he ended up getting into a runoff for this uh, Alabama Senate seat. It really showed that even without President Trump's support and actually with the president, former president trashing him, he was still able to have that comeback and um, get into that election. And that's a, a huge change from the way things have worked in the past. Yeah, so this is a huge shift. Are we going to see Trump um, dethroned from the de facto leader of the Republican Party now? Well, that's a lot of the discussion right now. And if if that is the case, that he's becoming more the leader of a faction than the leader of the party overall, then that would be a massive realignment for the party. The first time it's really changed in more than half a decade. And if so, I think that that could be um, a big difference for those people who are not really that Trumpy, but have had to pretend like they were, um, the more establishment traditional Republicans, you may see them stick their heads up a little bit more as they've been, you know, hunkering down for years now. I think that you're seeing a little bit more um, risk taking that might come from the more establishment wing uh, because they've seen some people fight back against Trump over the past couple of weeks and and win and win decisively. So it, I wouldn't count Trump out yet, though, because if he ends up getting that nomination to run for re-election, I think you'll see the party coalesce behind him again. And boy, they're going to want to get right back down in their foxholes. OK. All right. Well, we had a shift in the balance of power, a little bit of a change. So tell me about that. Yeah, very little change, a minor one. But in the House, uh, Representative Antonio Delgado from New York submitted his resignation on Tuesday of last week um, from Congress because he got appointed to be the new lieutenant governor in New York. After Governor Cuomo stepped down uh, and Governor Lieutenant Governor Hochul uh, moved up into the governorship, she had to fill that slot. So she picked Representative Delgado. So he, that me- now means that the Democrats have a 12 vote advantage in the House. Their uh, advantage is 220 for the Democrats and 208 for the Republicans. So it's pretty narrow. If they lose uh, more than six people on a vote, actually really more than five on a vote, then they would lose that vote. Uh, Because if a vote in the House ends in a tie, that means that the measure does not proceed. Ah. So it's a loss for the the party. So it's not just six, it's actually five that they can lose. And that's a very slim margin. It's going to make it tight for November. Absolutely. It it makes it even more likely um, that every every seat's going to matter in that November election because uh, the slightest change could tip the balance of power in the House. It's really on a razor's edge right now. Okay, so how is President Biden polling right now? Uh, 
not well. Uh, he has not had a, a good spring. Um, since January, he's really been on a bit of a downward trajectory. Right now, he is at a net negative 13.6%. Um, that's the, the average of polls has him at 40.6% approval and 54.2% disapproval. That's actually a lower approval rating than any modern president, including President Trump at this point in the term, uh, which is somewhat surprising given how polarizing of, of a figure he was. But uh, this is this week, President Biden also saw his lowest ever figure in the Reuters poll. He only had 36% support. And maybe more shocking than that is he only had 72% support in his own party. Not as bad as Congress, though. <laughs> it rarely gets as bad as Congress because, yes, the congressional approval is 21.8% approve and 67.8% disapprove. So that's a net negative of negative 42%. Pretty ugly. And that's down 2% from last week. All right. So uh, what have we got on the calendar, the political calendar this week? Where is the president? Sure. So, so far, the president hasn't announced any public events yet, but he doesn't tend to announce them publicly very early. He's in Wellington, Delaware uh, for Memorial Day, but he'll be coming back to D.C. after that. Then the House and Senate are both on a, a um, recess week this week. Both will be returning to uh, start session again next week. Uh, and they they have a handful of weeks that they'll be in session throughout June before they go back on recess again. Well, there's no primaries this week, but we've got a bunch coming up next week. So you want to cover those next time? Yep. There's a lot to talk about next week, and there's a big string of primaries throughout the last part of June as well. So we'll have plenty to talk about in the coming weeks. All right. Well, don't forget to check that email version and get your cheat sheet graphic, which I find very helpful. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. All right. Thank you.